Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to season two of Performance People with me, Georgie. And me, Ben. Our guests this time round have 38 Olympic or Paralympic medals between them, 22 of them gold. There are countless world records, 16 Everest summits, and the man responsible for some of the greatest inventions of our time. And alongside them are their closest confidence. They will share what drives these exceptional individuals to their highest heights. Performance People is free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can also follow us on our Performance People social channels. Now enjoy this week's episode. Joining us on today's Performance People are a husband and wife team who've hoarded a mind-boggling 32 Paralympic medals. Dame Sarah Story is the most successful British Paralympian of all time, winning gold staggering 17 times. Joining Sarah is her husband, Barney Story, who's won three Paralympic golds of his own. And Barney now manages the Story racing team, as well as Sarah's commitments off the bike. These two performance people are about reaching the top and staying there. And if I became the walking conversation stopper, no one knew how to kind of include me in anything, I don't think. I can honestly say that the, the, the nastiest people I've not seen since 1994, um, and I don't know where they are, I wouldn't profess to care either. You know, sport isn't a comfortable place to be, and it, and it never will be. If you want to be comfortable, you know, go and have a, you know, sit in a relax in your garden, or, you know, or go leisure cycling. Guys, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Um, it strikes me that I'm the only one in this foursome that doesn't have a gold post box to their name. Is this right? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> yeah, where are yours, Ben? Well, down in the West Country, so sorry, not... You've got one in Lymington. You've got a yeah, gold te- post te- box te- in Lymington. Technically, yes, I suppose so. There was, there was a good story to that, but anyway, we don't need to, we don't need to tell that now. <laughs> I think a local publican may have sprayed a, um, a post box, <laughs> a post box um, gold in your honour, right? It wasn't the official one. 
Yeah. Have you got an anyway, official but one? Don't, it's not, there's still time. You can still get out there. Come <laughs> there's on. No, there's no time. There's no time left. Sarah, where's yours? And Barney, where's yours? So we've both got one in Disley, where we live. And then I've got one in Poynton, one in Salford, and another one in Macclesfield. Oh, well done, all of you. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, Sarah. When I when I when I sort of set myself this task of uh, of researching you, um, my first port of call, as it probably is with everybody these days, is to jump onto Wikipedia. Such are your achievements that they have to use a hide and show button where the medals are concerned because they can't fit them all <laughs> onto one page. I mean, that's what we're dealing with here. So, for people that don't know who are watching. Um, I just want to recap on them because it's so extraordinary. So five golds before turning 19, 29-time world champion, 21-time European champion, 75 world records. I mean, it's the most extraordinary set of accolades and achievements. I mean, my question is, how on earth do you fit everything in? You have so much going on and somehow you've managed to accrue all of these medals, awards, accomplishments. I mean, how do you pack it all in? I think Wikipedia gave up counting after a while um, because the world record <laughs> tally went up and the world champs tally went up and someone gave up. And I tried to change it and got booted out. Um, but, yeah, no, it's it's just something that's become a way of life, I think. One of those things that I always wanted to do as a child. Um, I never imagined what the end would look like. Um, and I don't know whether I still imagine what the end of that sporting career would look like. Um, maybe I should start thinking about it the closer I get to 50. I was asking Ben um, earlier, actually, um, in the lead up to this, whether he cared about records. Do you care about records? Do you care about smashing records? Or are you your own sort of, you know, are you in competition with yourself here or other people? I think for me, it's a little bit of both. The records are nice, but they're very much there to be broken. So if you can break them and, and claim them for a short time, that's great. Um, but also it's about bettering yourself and finding that next personal best um, to keep you motivated so I think they both play an important role but ultimately a, a world record is there to be broken a medal tally is there for someone else to go at as well so that keeps it exciting and then it keeps you grounded when you're focusing on you know your own personal bests as well. Barney you've got your own achievements to boast of as well but what's it like living with Sarah who is just so super high achieving I mean what what, what is she like to live with? Um, you're going to use that word <laughs> relentless again, aren't you? Choose <laughs> so, these words, words carefully, Barney. We, My advice. It's <laughs> usually, yeah, relentless comes up. Um, extremely driven, attention to detail, and that kind of crosses over onto everything, really. Um, whether she's painting a wall or um, uh, yeah, in the house or, or whatever Making she's doing. Making a bed. Doing. Making a bed. Everything has to be... Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think most athletes, I think all athletes have that... Um, um, the, the ability to kind of, you know, focus on very small details and make everything absolutely precise because you don't really get another chance to you know, to compete in a race, you don't, everything has to be very precise and get it right. So I think most, most athletes are, I think control freaks is a little bit too, um, <laughs> too far-fetched, but uh, very, yeah, very close to that. But you're not a control freak anyway. Not of, well, that's good to hear. <laughs> well, ben, making a bed, making a bed, painting a wall, do those things apply to you too? Before you're going to look to me about control freakery. <laughs> uh, I, 
Um, <laughs> no, I'm not sure they do. <laughs> but attention to detail, yeah, definitely. I can I can understand that trait. And uh, I mean, I was I was just fascinated, Sarah. Just as Georgie says, the, the accomplishments are, are, are incredible. You're going through Olympic cycles. In my experience, is a very tough thing. You know, finishing an Olympics and then. Oh, four years to the next games. I mean, what what was it? What did you use to motivate you and drive you through? I mean, you talked about the the PBs and so on, but was there anything else that that you that drove you forward? Um, in in my swimming career, I think uh, I won gold medals in the first two games, and there was always that striving to match that. And I missed out in Sydney. I'd not long since recovered from having chronic fatigue syndrome, so going to Athens was trying to kind of put the record straight and I just missed out. I think I must have picked up some virus, you know, village flu virus type thing and just missed out on gold again in, in Athens. Um, but then when I came into cycling, there was so many disciplines to learn. And every year we have a world championships in track and road and all the other disciplines as well. So every year there was an opportunity to, to try and win a rainbow jersey and um, to try and test yourself on a different course. And I think that's probably why my love of road racing comes in because it's so different and every year the courses are different. Um, you know, there's a new place to explore uh, and it's just a very different environment. So I think that's what's enabled me to keep going over the last 17 years, 18 years nearly in, in cycling. Yeah, Sw switching sports must have been a great motivator in a way, uh, to, 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 like you say, to learn a new, new techniques. Yeah, I think um, initially it was sort of, I had immediate success in a sense that it was quite a raw talent, but there was a lot to kind of refine. So that really appealed to that attention to detail that we were talking about. Um, and then um, as we got, got in, I started to get deeper into the, the opportunities to improve and the way that I could test myself in a bigger peloton and different types of races and stage races, stage races that were made up of different types of uh, events. So some stage races incorporate team time trials, others incorporate individual time trials, hilly stages, and then also the, the intermediate jerseys and, and other jerseys that are secondary to the leader's jersey of a stage race. So there's almost, you know, four or five different races going on within a stage race, um, as you see at the Tour de France and the Tour of Britain and, and other tours. So for me, being able to challenge myself in that environment and the women's peloton, uh, and then just before the Games in London, I was racing and training with the women's team pursuit squad, trying to qualify the place for the Olympic Games. And then the team went on to win Olympic gold. So there's been so much variety that it was a case of, you know, trying to cram as much in as possible um, and, and just, just seeing how good I could get at the different things that were on offer. Barney, is Sarah good in her own company? Yeah, she is. I think... I think going out in, or if you go out for six hours on your bike, I think you've got to be pretty happy with your own company. Because um, it's, well, other than talking to sheep or cows while you're going past them, I think it's that you've literally got yourself in your own and your own thoughts, you know, whilst you're out on your bike. So other than concentrating on, you know, the, the numbers that the bike is telling you from the information that it gives you, um, she often comes back with, if she's been out for a long ride, I know there's going to be an extensive list of things to talk about when she comes back. Yeah. So that's usually something that it uh, your brain goes on to like overdrive, doesn't it, when you've been out for a long ride? What's the typical so list look like? things to do, Barney. <laughs> <laughs> what does the, the typical list. list look like, Barney? 
Um, it depends, really. It's um, you're quite you're quite kind of focused on specific topics, aren't you? So you can, I think, think being able to kind of compartmentalize the this you know everything and basically put it into. And this is kind of where Sarah's kind of crossover to concentrating on loads of different aspects within sport and within cycling, within swimming. Concentrating on different and certain events requires kind of a different different thought and a different kind of box to kind of put everything in and I think that that then kind of carries over on to other aspects of of your life where you can literally you can go out and you can you know you can fill in all your different filing cabinets in your brain with um everything going on and then um and then you know put that into some sort of common sense when you get back so kind of kind of therapy in a way then is it Sarah to you know offload any of those issues, get them out of your head and then come back and you dump them onto Barney. (laughs) (laughs) I like to think I'm trying to find solutions to the challenges. So, well, you know, when you get to that point where initially in sport, you maybe do big PBs, big, big jumps of improvement. Whereas in cycling, there seems to be so many different areas that you can move um, forward, but you have to be careful that you don't change too many things at the same time and not know which ones worked. So I tend to find that I'm sort of thinking deep down into, you know, one concept that might be the first move to make next if we're looking for another, you know, small amount of time to shave off or um, could I race in this way in order to achieve this that would then come back towards this um, goal over here. And, um, you know, if there's a challenge that we're, you know, usually it's a time-based challenge. We haven't got enough hours in the day to fit everything in. So I come back with some, you know, harebrained scheme of how we're going to create more hours in the day um, and be able to do more things or how we're going to fit in what we need to fit in on the journey down to something else because we've realised that we need to do something else. So, yeah, quite often there's kind of this long rambling sort of route to get to something that's trying stuff out on the way. And it's hopefully a bit of fun. When you've figured out how to fit more hours in the day, can you let the rest of us know? Because that would be a really helpful <laughs> thing to take away. Um, yeah. But when you went to Barcelona, you were like, what, 14 years old? So most 14-year-olds are not doing that. Did you feel different from your peer group? Did you feel like there was something else that you were doing that, that you couldn't share with them? Because you, uh, ostensibly, the life you were living was so different. I think there was an element of that when I came back to school, but when I was at the Games, the British team that year, we I wasn't the youngest. There was two other girls who were 14 um, who were born in the same year, but within you know a couple of months younger than me. Um, there was a couple of other teenagers who were 15 and 16. So there was a small group of us that were you know roughly the same age, hadn't done GCSEs or were just doing GCSEs. And I think that meant that it didn't feel too unusual at the time. And we also had some incredible role models and mentors within the swim team, but also within the wider sports team. And I think that's one of the reasons why it was potentially so successful, because we had that mentorship of different athletes. So the the wheelchair basketball team, generally that little bit older, stronger, wiser, um, a huge compliment um, to them. They were all very cheeky, but they were very, very good at helping to kind of um, put things into perspective. Um, there's lots of time waiting around in the village, making sure that you don't overtire yourself, overstimulate yourself, you concentrate on what you've got to do in hand. And that can be quite challenging, um, especially when you're a teenager. So I think um, for us, it was great to have those older athletes around us and to help guide us into, you know, away from the, you know, the free ice cream and, and onto what we should have been doing and, and resting. 
And then what about when you came back? Because you have spoken about it before, how tricky it was to sort of fit back into the regular sort of school pattern of behaviour and nasty girls saying nasty things. I mean, how, how, how did that sort of manifest itself for you? And what was the fallout like after that? It was very much centred around mind games, really. Kind of, I became the walking conversation stopper. No one knew how to kind of include me in anything, I don't think. Um, I'd often arrive at school with wet hair, similar to me this this afternoon, arriving with wet hair because I'd been training in the morning before school and um, I'd be having my breakfast in the car and then, you know, walking into school ready to start the school day, literally having only got out of the pool half an hour earlier. So I think there was, you know, a lot of we don't really understand what you're doing, you know, and you're never available to do any of the sort of what was considered normal teenage things. Um, and every weekend I'd be off to a, a training camp or a competition uh, and seeing other friends as as well as, you know, rubbing shoulders at events with people that were generally only watched on TV. And so that was made me different. So just being very isolated um, made me focus more on my sport and being able to kind of handle things in my own company probably helped me. Um, but I guess there wasn't really a fallout. I knew that school was going to end within that the following sort of 18 months. And I just kind of had to ride it out. And I found new friends, actually, you know, quieter people more considered, perhaps, um, uh, rather than the sort of loud, brash um, people that weren't being particularly nice. It's really interesting, this, isn't it? Because we talk a bit about the fact that when, you know, you were out doing competition or whatever else and would come back in, in sort of th those school years, you, know, you were bullied, weren't you, early on in your school years? But you found that going out and, and doing that competition and then coming back gave you something extra in that conversation and you found that you got more respect from your peer group, didn't you? So it was a different experience. Maybe, yeah. I mean, sailing's... Yeah, quite a different sport. I think not not many people really understand sailing that well. So it was quite quite interesting coming back from somewhere like Australia and New Zealand, and and schoolmates realizing that you'd actually been competing and doing something something a bit more serious. So yeah, but I think it's uh, maybe in I think Sarah's Sarah, case, it's a jealousy thing. Well, I, I, but I think as Sarah, the key point is that sports just a fantastic thing for youngsters, isn't it? Because it gives you that ability to escape from whatever you don't like or whatever challenges there might be that's mm. something that's a little bit out of your control such as other people <laughs> and um, really getting your head down and focus did it feel like that sarah that that was what it gave you it did give you a bit of an es escapism yeah i very much knew that sport would last longer than school i was very aware of that there wasn't very much longer left to to deal with these people and um, I, I can honestly say that the, the the nastiest people I've not seen since 1994, um, and I don't know where they are. I wouldn't <laughs> profess to care either. Um, but the ones that were nice, I'm, I'm sure know, they know where you are. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, potentially. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think it was just you know, bullying is something that exists in this world, and being able to handle it and and move on and know how to help other people who are going through something similar. Um, it's not something I'd wish on anyone to, to have to happen to them, but I think it does help give you a strength and a, an understanding that not everyone in the world will be as nice as you hope they would be. Um, but provided you don't lose the faith in being nice yourself, I think that's the most important thing. 
Yeah, Barney, do you think that's the case as well? The kind of resilience that that taught Sarah at such an early age and the ability to deal with, you know, a situation that's a bit uncomfortable, but navigate your way through that has, you know, has, has, has paid off in many different aspects of her career moving forward. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I think I think this, this this whole idea that, um, and I think you know a lot of people look at sport and and they see it as a very, and it is very privileged, and you know it's a very privileged position to be in to be able to compete compete at um, elite level sport, and and I think to be able to have, um, you know, or being in that privileged position, I think it um, it, it, it it certainly there's so many of the lessons that Sarah would have learned, you know, in, in that, that unfortunate time, it does make you resilient. And also the fact that, you know, sport isn't a comfortable place to be and it, and it never will be. If you want to be comfortable, you know, go and have a, you know, sit in a relax in your garden or, you know, or go leisure cycling, like sport and competitive sport is not a comfortable place. So if, if you, and, and a lot of people thrive on that as, as we have done and, and mm. do, and and I think it it's a that that's the trickiest thing I think for any kind of non sporty competitive sport people to understand is is that is a, it is a little bit uncomfortable at points, uh, but the rewards that come from being a little bit uncomfortable sometimes are very very significant. Yes, you seem to like putting yourself in these uncomfortable spots and uh, you know under the spotlight <laughs> in intense pressure I mean. situations. <laughs> The Southern Ocean springs what? to mind. <laughs> Sarah, what's the most pressurised environment you've ever felt? Like, when when did it feel like it was all on your shoulders? Have you ever felt like, or like Barney just alluded to, the pain, the pain of the of the process? When did it feel like it was at its, you know, I don't want to say worst because it feels like that's not what you're implying, but at its peak? Um, I think it probably comes in a team environment. So some of the most nerve-wracking points have been sat sitting with uh, Team Pursuit teammates either side of you or next to you. Um, the World Cup in Manchester when I was riding with Wendy Hoovenagel and Joanna Roussel, we broke the sea level world record that day and then a few months later we were racing against the same Kiwi team in Cali and Colombia um, to win the World Cup overall that year. And that was the year before the Olympics in, in 2012. And knowing that you needed to finish, all of you had to finish. There was no way you could finish with three because you only started with three in those days. And the Team Pursuit format was different. Uh, you couldn't be the weak link. You had to deliver your turns. You had to follow the pattern that was set that you'd trained to. And um, if you were having a bad day, you had to get over that very quickly. Uh, and there was no concessions um, and so, yeah, making a mistake wasn't an option. And uh, you always consider, you know, what will I do if I do make a mistake? You've got to try and put those things out of your mind. So I think the psychological training paid off dividends in those moments because you, you know, you were really, really motivated to make sure that you didn't let anyone down. What's the balance with sport between physical ability and mental strength and toughness? Which Which do you sort of say is 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 the one that the one that you really really need well if you don't have the physical capabilities you don't get the chance to test that mental toughness um so i think you need them both but in different orders but you you have to develop that mental toughness from the beginning and you'll see it with children you know developing that understanding that it won't always go well 
And that's one of the reasons why we all want our children to take part in sport. We don't really mind where they reach, provided those lessons are are, are coming to them and, and give them that chance to kind of shape themselves. Yeah, it's a really good point, isn't it? And not trying to impress too much on them at such an early age. You want them to sort of fight. They're, they're obviously individuals and you want them to find their own way. You don't sort of want to put on your... How, how do you make sure you don't do that with your, your two kids? Because you two are so high achieving. So what's your sort of method? What's your, what's your way of making sure that they really enjoy sport? It's their choice, isn't it? Mm. They're yeah, the it ones is. that decide what they want to do. We give the opportunity... Um, and we'll do the running around like our parents did for us. Mm. But it's about their choice. Um, and if they come to us with a problem, we can help work through that by asking questions. But the ultimate decision has got to be from them. We don't want to be the ones that lead. We need to be behind and enabling rather than kind of pushing. And do, if they came to you and said, oh, we really want to compete in the games what 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 would your what would your responses be would you be delighted for them or would you see a lifetime of a lot of very hard work <laughs> i think i think immediate panic would be the uh, the well, first louisa thing. has yeah. already said hasn't she <laughs> so louisa has said to me that i need to compete in paris because she's going to take over for la and i'm like right okay <laughs> i think that puts more pressure on me right now to keep going uh. They've got amazing role models in YouTube. But joking aside, how did you manage to, to, to you know, fulfil their sort of aspirations and training around what you're doing what yourselves? What you're doing, yeah. <laughs> um, well, we, we try and save up the work we need to do for when swim sessions are on. And we tag team that. Um, so, um, and then Charlie goes on a bike ride while Louisa's doing ballet on a Saturday we tag team the acro dance on a Friday. Um, and then in the summer months when it's a little bit easier, I probably set my turbo trainer up outside the swimming pool and do my training. So this is where my time on the bike comes in really handy because all the logistics come. <laughs> I get off and go, right, I know how we're going to fit it <laughs> yeah. in. I write it all down really quickly. I just have So have you got her training in the pool my... at the same time you're on the turbo trainer? Mm. Yeah, so sometimes, so last summer, um, I was putting my bike on the turbo outside and was able to watch. It was quite handy. It's when it was really, really hot. Um, and I was using it as a bit of like a heat session um, because it was just so baking. Um, but yeah, Barney's, I, I just write notes in the notification calendar, you know, on the phone. And they keep popping up <laughs> as I kind of write how it's going to fit and who's going to go where and which journey. Wow. Yeah. I suppose the I suppose the word can't doesn't enter either of your vocabularies, does it? It's just not there, is it? It feels like that's always been the way with both of you. Yeah, yeah, it's de it's definitely there's always a, there has to be a really really good reason why we can't do something, doesn't it? Like a really really good reason. Well, my so. parents always said there's no such word as can't. <laughs> <laughs> so it's one of those mems that you see, you know, when your parents told you that. Um, you'd get pulled over if you had the light on in the car or, you know, all those things, those like those false rules that were there when you were a kid. <laughs> One of the ones was there's no such word as can't. I remember the false rules. I remember those. Um, so just going back to the, the the swimming bit, because obviously cycling and the story of you two getting together and everything else um, follows this. But just to round off on the on the swimming side, Sarah. Um, so it was cycling was never really in in your thinking, was it? It was because of this. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ear infection that happened. And this chain of events that happened after that, which led you down the cycling path, that was never really part of the game plan, was it? It was all about the swimming to begin with. I mean, what, what did swimming mean to you at that time? And, and how worried and nervous and, 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 you know, full of anticipation were you at the idea of not having that in your life? Yeah, so I started with ear infections and I was a previously a runner. So I'd run at English schools and I'd done lots of different sport and I'd used running as a cross-training tool, but I was... Um, in my mid-20s, late-20s, and I thought, well, if I start running again now, because I hadn't run consistently in the previous sort of three years, three, four years, I don't want to injure myself. So I used cycling as a cross-training tool to keep myself fit. And by the time I was allowed to get back in the pool, um, I'd started racing a bike because I was too impatient to wait to race again in the pool and had done reasonably well. And I think initially I was like, well, I'll just keep swim training and I'll start cycling training after the games in Beijing and it was my swimming coach Colin Hood he said Sarah why don't you just switch now and I was like I don't know why I wouldn't just switch now because I like swimming <laughs> I will swim forever and he said yeah but if you get an extra three years under your belt before the home games in London that might mean that you you know you have different opportunities and he was just so right. Um, but I was like, well, I can't imagine you not being my coach. I can't imagine switching and not being a swimmer. What what, what would I do? And he'd go, well, you'd, you'd go to the velodrome instead of the pool. I was like, well, that's a bit simple. Um, <laughs> okay. And it, it was like, I don't want to get rid of you, but if you were my daughter, this is what I would suggest you might think about doing. And it was the best pep talk anyone could have ever given me. And I came back home, didn't I? Mm -hmm. And said, Collins told me to stop swimming. And Barney's like he's right. You should just ride a bike. I was like, oh, so everyone else can see this apart from me. Barney, what was the conversation like with Sarah? Because you would have presumably been drip feeding this for a while because you probably thought like her coach did that there was a future for her in cycling. So at what point did you sort of start having those conversations and start sort of saying, well, m maybe this direction? Yeah, I don't, I don't think I've ever, I've ever been in this, the position where I've, I've I've had to convince you. I think all I've ever done is just literally giving you the information of what you've what you've asked for because I the, the only person who's got to ride the bike is you. Like I can't I can't do that for you. So I can I can I gave Sarah like the you know the wealth of experience I've had from 
you know how many years in in cycling and then it was kind of up to Sarah to kind of make that make that decision to get you yeah, into and you the... gave me a lot of stats and, mm. and sort of figures and comparisons um you know you can never be sure if you're going to be good enough technically uh, a lot of road racing is about that technical capability um, but Barney would provide me with the stats and the comparisons between my own stats and how I could improve. So we did a lot of lab testing and regular testing to see that improvement. We discussed the things like pedal efficiency and learning how to race in a bunch. My body shape was changing significantly from being very broad shouldered as a swimmer to being much narrower as a cyclist. So he'd just provide me with those stats that backed up what we were seeing on or what I was potentially seeing to allow me to try and take a step back and assess myself a little bit more objectively. How do you manage to park the work chat at home? Oh, the children make that very easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have to we have to be full on like, yeah, the demands of whether it's making, what was it he was making? Um, Char- Charlie loves making things with a great big saw drill because we, um, we renovated the house before the children were born. So we battened and boarded and completely did the inside ourselves. So we've got various tools that Charlie likes to use. So, yeah, we can park the work <laughs> chat and get hands-on with the other stuff. And then Louisa likes to go through. At the moment, there's a lot of stretching routines to do with her because of the, um, you know, the acrobatic dance that she's doing. So I have to, you know, re-engage the mobility exercises. I can save them, actually, from my own training and do them with her. <laughs> Perfect. It's called multitasking, isn't it? Definitely. And sometimes we have to converse by text. Because he's outside with Charlie and I'm somewhere else with Louisa. Hey, I, I wanted to ask, having competed and trained, been in, at the highest level of both sports, which, you know, what are the pros and cons of, of swimming and cycling? I think swimming is incredibly structured. You've got an appointment, you know, every session is an appointment with the swimming pool. You know where your, your training sessions are going to be. And if you plan a training camp, you'll know where you're going to train when you get there because, you know, you'll have planned it to the facilities that are available um, and that's you know Rebecca Romero was very um, clever with the way she described it a bit like being at school you know exactly what you're doing uh, and it's a program and um, with, with cycling it's much more like university there's a lot of self-coaching a lot of you know self-motivation required you can go out training at any point um, you know if you're on the turbo it can be dark outside it doesn't matter you have to make assessment as to whether it's safe in certain weather conditions to go out training on the road, um, and but no one's here stood over you telling you that you have to do it. So, that it, you know, it is very different. And I think the swim training and the environment of that really sets you up incredibly well because of that single-mindedness. You're following a black line. You know, you don't have... I mean, well, they've probably invented earphones you can wear to listen to music, but there's, there is very much um, a single-minded in your own brain. Um, and I think that set me up incredibly well for these long uh, rides on my own now as a, as a cyclist. Um, so, yeah, for me, I think they've both got huge pluses um, and ultimately, um, you know, I think they complement each other very well. When you got on the bike, Sarah, did you know, did you instinctively know as somebody that's been able to compete at the highest level in another sport that you had what it took? No, no, not at to all. To dominate in that one. Um, no, I think the thing about anyone getting on a bike is it always feels very wobbly. Um, if you've never, if you're not ridden a bike, <laughs> a, a track bike, you know, the track bike's got no brakes. It's got one gear. Um, you know, you can't stop pedaling and freewheel. So I not got you, on that, and, darling. you know, instantly felt like a duck out of water. <laughs> 
and it's quite a it's quite a surreal concept so, when you uh, Sarah's first professional race she did on the the road a field of 140 riders and you're asking a uh, someone who's been in cycling for you know just over a year a couple of years go and ride in the middle of that bunch like you mm. you you know you think they're absolutely insane for kind of asking you to do that because you're literally millimeters away from people's handlebars from legs hands and it's uh it's something that i grew up with so i'm i'm completely comfortable with that now and even if you should pick me up from the chair and put me in the middle of a bunch now be completely happy with it but i think for people who kind of for anyone who kind of swaps sports it's a really daunting task and yeah actually quite scary being put in that situation um as you found out a few times didn't you did did you find it intimidating sarah did you find it intimidating oh hugely intimidating my first professional race was uh, in belgium there was quite a lot of cobbles um there's cobble climb quite narrow twisted descent the farm roads in belgium And you're fighting for position to make sure because if you hold, if you're in that position as you go into the narrow road, there's very little opportunity to move up. There's lots of opportunity to drop back. You've got to really fight and and keep and hold your position and be confident. Uh, and I had n- none of the skills that were needed. The only skill I had was my strength and my engine. So I did a lot of chasing that day. And the the race 140 started, I think 75, 80 finished, and I was in that front group. Um, didn't get pulled on the time limit and it was just um, you know success of survival and what I didn't realize is that most people don't finish their first pro race they don't finish the first 10 pro races because of all of those barriers and things that you have to learn so I was quite disappointed in some ways that I'd missed a break or I'd missed this and I'd not done that and I came back with a a whole list of reasons that I was not particularly good and then I was congratulated for surviving and I'd never had that as a concept (laughs) because in a swimming pool there's eight lanes and you can very much see who's come last Um, whereas in cycling there's so many other narratives within a race um, and there's so many other things that you have to consider. Um, it's not just about getting from A to B. There's lots of little bits and pieces that happen along the way within that route. So how much did you need Barney at that time to actually make you see it that way as well? Because if you'd had that particular mindset and you needed to sort of redress how you were looking at it, I mean, how important was Barney in, in, in guiding you through that? Hugely important. I think one of the things that we did was we we wrecked the course the day before and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm not going to survive this. So we (laughs) created what I still use on my handlebars, which is a bit like a safety belt for my left hand. And that is something that is not um, a permanent fixture. I can take my hand in and out very easily. But if I bounce over something and lose my non-gripping side off the bar, then it falls into the, the little safety belt, as it were. So we sort of looked for practical solutions and things mm. that we could easily see that were steps forward because Barney knows I'm not the sort of person who's just going to take random chat as a you know a pep talk what I need is kind of like really clear logical thought process <laughs> and, and fact so he you know he's very astute with that and, and he worked with the guy that was the team manager at the time who had you know years of experience bringing new riders into the professional peloton and 
they just basically gave me the the brutal facts about what was good, what wasn't good, what needed to be worked on. Um, And I think that constructive um, criticism was just exactly what was needed because then I could see without any flannel what needed to be doing and what needed to be addressed and what I needed to work on, both in terms of strengths and weaknesses. That's what I like about professional sport. It's always so binary. It does seem to be sort of win or lose. And this directness with which people speak who know about professional sport is always so refreshing, especially in, mm. in this world. I mean, Barney, is, is <laughs> honesty the best policy where Sarah's concerned? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and I think that with, with that honesty, there's always that level of respect as well, because I, I think it's, um, I've seen, you, you know, so many times, you know, coaches who who haven't used that level of respect but have used the honesty um and it's not always gone down particularly well but I think you have to you have to respect what someone is doing and knowing that they are trying that you know the best of their ability to be able to do it and 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 just give them the honesty with that as well but I think it it has to be done in a respectful way and it and that's the that's the key to it really no one's no one's going to listen to you if you you know if you're you're so honest it ends up being rude um so I think with that there is that <laughs> a level of respect that you need as well um because uh, yeah I mean I've 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 had and witnessed so many different coaching styles, styles over the years. I'd like to like to think that I've been able to take the yeah. you know the. How the would you best describe yourself as a coach? <laughs> how would you um, best describe yourself as a coach? How would I describe myself? Probably a um, quiet, quiet, quiet and assertive. I think is probably the um, the best best. Is it? I don't know. Am I? Yeah, considered uh, assertive, but. You t- take a step back and look at the big picture, and then offer up the various different angles um, to help make a decision collaboratively. I don't want this to sound or come out the wrong way, but Sarah, do you ever feel old? I feel like as I'm as I'm as I'm going through this sort of like forties process, I can feel myself starting to creak in ways that I never felt I was creaking before. I mean, and and obviously I'm not a professional athlete, which might be the reason why I'm creaking much more than other people. But do you ever do you ever feel that? Do you, I mean, you just go on and on, and this longevity piece with you is extraordinary. It's another amazing, you know, facet to your character and and you know in your locker. So does does that ever is that ever a thing? Do you ever wake up and just go, oh, not today? <laughs> oh, yeah, I do. It's funny, I read, I read something yesterday. It's about how old are you in your head? And I almost <laughs> texted it to Barney because we weren't together. And I was thinking, how old am I in my head? And I kind of think in my head I'm, you know, about 30. Um, whereas, obviously, I'm not. I'm 45. So I don't know. I think there's a lot of how old are you in your head? And there are some days when I'm definitely, I feel like I'm, younger than that in my head as well so I don't know I think there's a lot to racing with younger people that keeps you you know on your toes and making sure that you you know keep up and so much has changed you know since the days pre-digital in the analog age where we didn't have social media to update every time we did a race and all of those things so we've had a, a huge amount of adaptation to do um and you almost yearn for that non social media games as it were um, but no, I don't know. I think um, sport keeps you young and keeps you on your toes and young people are always coming in all the time. And I raced a nearly 18-year-old when we raced at the Track World Champs in October last year. 
and she was born after my final games as a swimmer. Uh, the bronze medalist that day was born the same month as my first games as a swimmer. And it was a, an interesting podium to have that, you know, a 2004 in silver birthday and a, a 1992 birthday. And there was me as the, the granny on top step. <laughs> I mean, eight Paralympic Games. I mean, can you imagine you did five Olympic Games? Can you, can you imagine eight? Not really, no. I mean, the lot, the, what, what it takes to do that. I mean, physically, it takes so much, yeah, doesn't it? Physically, it does. mentally out of you. I mean, what does, your, what, does your, what does your fridge look like? What does inside your fridge look like? Are you eating just the most wonderful, brilliant, healthy diet to maintain this, this level, this momentum of fitness? Well, you do have a personal chef, don't you? I do now. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> but I need to cover all the you cooking because I spent yeah. so long sat feeding babies. <laughs> I was like two milk guzzlers. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I suppose a, a diet is a, a habit as well. I don't know if it's something that changes when you're, you're not in this cycle of, um, you know, Olympic, Paralympic Games, but it's just a, this habit of like what you know what to eat. You have this innate understanding of your body and what works. Um, and also I think you do have to change it a little bit in as you get a little bit older because your body and your metabolism changes but it's about doing that without worry or panic. And, you know, there's lots to learn and to, you know, still get it right. But I think it's about trying to keep it simple. And I also think sometimes across the course of my career, I've seen different fads come and go and being able to yeah. recognise when it's a little bit faddy um, and something that's perhaps, you know, not worth spending any time considering and sticking with you know, old school rules that actually are still valid and, and, and very, very wise to, to follow. So I think there's a be benefit to that experience. And also if, if you're enjoying something, which is what I've been able to do. So looking forward, we talked a little bit about longevity and you mentioned right at the beginning, or maybe I should start thinking about what, what is happening next. Are you fully committed to Paris? Is that definitely happening? As definite as any selection is, this far out from the games um i've got the the dates of the potential races noted in the calendar barney got notification um, <laughs> and I've, I've got a plan of what training camps can look like and where potential dates that we already know for other events are so there's the bones of a plan there um so it's it's in the same sort of phase of planning as it would have been before any of the other games um, and now it's just a matter of putting the performances between now and then in the right way to make sure that I meet the selection criteria that will be published probably early next year. I was going to ask that. When will you know? When are, when are the trials? So most of the time we end up with a selection policy that uh, you submit results from a date, so potentially um, the World Championships this year in Glasgow through to the the final day of um, submissions for selection. So I would imagine that they may even extend it, that anything from the 1st of January 2023 will be a considered thing. The challenge in Parasport is often that we don't have that many competitions. So there's never any track events between world championships, which is one of the biggest kind of shames, really. Um, so you can only really look at the, the results from the track world championships from the previous year. Um, or from the previous two years. Uh, the road events, there's a, a multitude of different events you can do in the UK that would be of a similar standard or field standard to events abroad if 
you know, um, you know, the World Cup dates don't meet quite right with where you'd like to be. So, you know, selection is based on, a, you know, a time period rather than an exact day of trials. Competing in the non-disabled world championships in Glasgow in August, how are preparations going for that? And how are you feeling about that? Yes, I'm just putting together the uh, the race schedule and waiting. I'm waiting to digest the the qualification requirements um, to be able to make the final decision on whether I put in a, an expression of interest. I think it's called. Um, I also have to make sure that the scheduling works because I've heard a very um, annoying rumor that the race might clash with the the, the women's race in the para cycling event. Um, so yeah, it's still a bit up in the air, but I'm obviously still training hard and, um, the, the main, uh, preparation for that will be the national championships in June, which are the national time trial champs, which is where I announced my intention for doing this challenge last year. Uh, and we don't know where those event is, that event is taking place either. So there's still a lot of things that are um, very much up in the air. And I, as you can imagine, I'm chomping at the bit to get the right information so that I can, uh, put cross the I's, dot the T's and get that strategy sent to Barney. <laughs> and if the scheduling allows, I mean, how big a deal is that for you? Oh, it's a huge deal. I think it's something that I, you know, I've, I've, I've never been selected for the World Championships. I just missed out on selection for the Olympic Games in, in 2012 when I was part of the Team Pursuit squad. So, yeah, it'd be a huge thing. Um, I think the the national champion from last year is, is out. She's very excitedly, uh, very exciting. She's having a baby this year. Um, so it is a wide open selection, um, but the selection criteria and the, the expectations of the selection panel are obviously key. So that information, I think, has just been published this week. And it's something that I need to um, digest properly and make sure that I can meet the requirements. But it'd be a huge deal because it's something that hasn't yet been done in cycling. And have you allowed yourselves to have that conversation about what comes next? What comes after Paralympics? Um. We've we've talked about what options there might be there. I've been we, we've had our own business um, motivational speaking and um, coaching for um, nearly fifteen years now. So we already have something that we do alongside. I think like most athletes, um, you know, the, there is lottery funding there that's a contribution to living and training costs. But most of what you need to um, invest in needs an an additional income source. So we've always worked alongside our sport anyway so it's talking about how we expand that um, I'm working for uh, Greater Manchester Combined Authority for the Mayor Andy Burnham I work as the Active Travel Commissioner in Greater Manchester now so I've been working in public um, positions like that for nearly four years so there's lots of different um, avenues to explore and it's about seeing which ones maybe get bigger first uh, and obviously things like broadcasting um, we've both worked in uh, commentary, co-commentary presenting. So, you know, whether there's more opportunities there as well. And, and I think sometimes other athletes have said that it's not until you kind of officially take a step back that other things come, uh, you know, become an option that people seek you out to do things that they know you'd previously not have had the time to do before. Sarah, you can't actually give up anytime soon where the Paralympics are concerned because um, when I was looking up in terms of medal halls, and where, where you sat in terms of the greatest ever of all time medal halls, I realised you did actually have some work to do. There's an Aussie athlete called Lizzie Cosmala, who from her shooting career um, can boast 74 golds. Wow. wow. 74 <clears throat> golds. That must have taken a bit of time. Exactly. So there we go. There's still work to be done. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should take up shooting. 
No. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no, we've given yeah, her another <laughs> idea. Oh, sorry, Barney. <laughs> You're lucky she's not going out for a long road ride right after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, can I get a performance tip from both of you? Bearing in mind this is the Performance People podcast and that's what people really want to glean and take away from it. Barney, perhaps you first. What can people do in their everyday lives to better their performance? What, what best advice would you give um, in that regard, if you try, if if you try to ultimately, you know, have something that is performance related and something that you're going to actually stick to as well, it has to be fun. Because I think there's so many times we can, you know, there's only a limited amount of time you can do something that you don't enjoy, and I think that that that's always kind of the where you come down to longevity and in terms of performance as well. So. Rule number one, you have to enjoy what you do. That's doesn't matter, you know, what performance level you get to. Enjoyment is the most crucial part. Great advice. Um, and I think Sarah, for, me, for you? It's, yes, I think for me it's about making sure that whatever you set your, your sights on, that you, you break it down into manageable chunks and that it's something that becomes each of those sort of small smaller stepping stones. You create the daily habits that you need to have to meet those targets uh, and don't be afraid to reassess what those stepping stones towards the bigger target look like because there is more than one way to reach that destination. Um, but yeah, breaking it down uh, and making sure that you develop those habits so that it isn't a forced thing and therefore you can develop the enjoyment of, of ticking things off your list. Okay, I might even go for a bike ride later. Ben's going to laugh because he's like, you're useless on no, you a bike. Won't. You can't ride a bike. Just fall off I bought time. Georgie, I bought, just after we got married, I bought Georgie a bike. Might have been, no, it wasn't a wedding gift. but It wasn't a wedding gift. A beautiful, gift. beautiful Pashley bike. And you went out once. It was a little bit too big for me, which, which being a small person is actually a bit of a problem because I kept falling mm. off and I couldn't sort of balance myself properly. It was a you bit of a muddle. You fell off it once and that was it. It's never been ridden since. Yeah, well, I sort of found myself in the middle of a, of, of an A road, which was a bit scary at the time. So I think it probably wasn't my yeah. probably wasn't ideal hobby Sarah for me. Sarah can sort these cycling lanes out. And then, <laughs> well, yeah, no excuse. There's that. There's that to hope for. I'll get on to Will Norman if you're in London. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, good on you. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. No worries at Take all. Take care. See all you right. then. See ya. Bye-bye. Okay, so so much to take from that. I mean, Sarah's achievements are obviously astonishing over such a long period of time. But for me, really, it was Barney's point about having fun, you know, driving enjoyment from whatever you're doing in life, and that, that's really going to spare you forwards. But how about you? Oh, for me, it was all to do with Sarah and, and being able to have that emotional maturity as a 14-year-old to say that, you know, sport for her had a much bigger role to play in her life moving forward than school so don't worry about this period of time where you're having to navigate bullies and girls being nasty because there's going to come an end to that whereas with sport that's that for her was the bigger play I mean that takes something as a 14 year old to think like that yeah some good long-term goal setting going on there yeah sure Thank you for watching and or listening. This has been Performance People. We are Ben and George Ainsley. And remember, from what we've learned today, break things down into manageable chunks. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. 
HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.